morning, and welcome to Hollywood United Methodist Church online. We're so glad that you have chose to join us for worship this morning. In a few short weeks, we'll be able to come back together in person, God willing, with the progress of healing and in the face of this virus. But for now, we continue to worship online so that all of our beloveds remain safe. In this church, all are welcome, not despite of who you are, but because of who you are. All people, all of God's children are welcome in this place. You are affirmed, and we are glad to have you. So without further ado, I welcome you to this beautiful morning of worship, and we'll begin with our incredible opening music. Bye. 
Friends, let us be in prayer together. Holy One, gather us in mind and spirit at Jacob's well as Jesus and the Samaritan woman once met. Give us open hearts and curious minds, a willingness to listen and the courage to be transformed by our encounters with divine love. For we so dearly need this transformation in our violent and broken world. What a week it has been. As students and teachers return to school with mixed feelings, as more people sick with the Delta variant fill our hospitals, and Haiti struggles after a massive earthquake, and Louisiana gets hit with Hurricane Ida, and wildfires burn in the western U.S., and as the people of Afghanistan fall into crisis. Lord, have mercy. Holy God, give us this moment to breathe, to pause, to release these burdens to you. For Jesus said, come to me you who are weary and I will give you rest. Help us to breathe in your Holy Spirit deeply in this time of prayer together. For you are our God and we are your people. We pray, O oh God, for your word, Jesus, vibrant and hopeful and justice seeking to be alive within us. Give us what we need this day. We pray for this afternoon's vaccination clinic right here at our church parking lot, that many people will receive the protection of the vaccine to keep all our families and our communities and our world healthy. We give thanks for this opportunity to serve our neighbors and to offer our hospitality. Show us how to love one another, even our enemies, and grant us wisdom to be good stewards of all you have given, including the earth, the sky, the ocean, and all living things. We pray for one special young living thing for our dear friend Matt's cat, Ida, who went missing this morning. Shepherd her back home safely, we pray. Great physician, heal the sick, especially our dear friend Richard as he continues to recover. And comfort all those who grieve, especially our dear friend Bishop Swenson and her family on the death of her husband Jeff. And for our friend Billy, whose friend's mother died yesterday. Oh God, we weep for the families of the 13 servicemen and women and 170 civilians who died in a bombing at Kabul airport this weekend, this week. We grieve these losses with heavy hearts. 
be our refuge and our strength in these times of distress. Teach us as your faithful disciples to empower the powerless and protect the vulnerable and marginalized in our communities and around the world, we pray. For we gather at Jacob's well this day to meet Jesus, to receive the living water he offers that we may never be thirsty again. Give to us this living water, O oh God as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Creator, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sarah, for that beautiful prayer. This morning we just have one brief announcement. It is again to introduce to you our vaccine clinic that is happening here today from 12 to 5 p.m. on the campus of Hollywood United Methodist Church. This is a really exciting moment. We are hoping to be able to give the vaccine to at least 100 people. So if you know someone who needs to be vaccinated, if you need to be vaccinated, come out and join us. We're gonna be here all afternoon, socially distanced, plenty of shade and water, and a medical crew from the county here providing the Pfizer vaccine. In addition to that, to the, for the first people who get here, the first group of folks who arrive at 12 o'clock, there's going to be a number of incentives and giveaways supplied to us by Councilmember Nithya Raman's office, including zoo passes, and I heard there's some Hollywood Bowl tickets in the raffle. We really hope that you'll come through and that you'll send the people that you love who need to be here through. And that might mean you need to go pick them up in your car and bring them. But don't worry, we'll be here and we'll be waiting for you. This is an act of love on our congregation, an act of witness. We want to work together to ensure that all the people in our community, the most vulnerable people in our community, are protected. And you can do your part by getting the vaccine. So once again, come on over at noon and for a special treat, every time someone receives the vaccine, Billy is going to ring our historic carillon. Now these bells have been rung in times of worship and celebration in times of crisis and in times of transformation. They've even been rung to sing um, the Oscar-winning songs that have happened here in our own Hollywood community. And today they're gonna ring for you. So come and get vaccinated and we can't wait to see you. As always, the ministries of this congregation, the possibilities of our work in the community, in many ways are due to the generous offerings and gifts that you provide. This has been a difficult year for our church, financially, emotionally, there's been too much grief and too much loss. We encourage you to give as generously as you are able to the ministries of this church so that we continue to be in the heart of Hollywood, a vital living presence, preaching the all-inclusive loving presence of Christ, the welcome that God provides, bringing the living water to all who thirst for it, seeking not just transformation for our neighbors, but for ourselves as well. You can find the information on giving online, on our websites, even on your screen right now. And we thank you for your gifts that make the ministries possible. Amen.
Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed, although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with and this well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it? He and his sons and livestock and passed it down to us? Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. Word of God, words of life. Thanks be to God.
What would it be like, I wonder, to walk away from all that you own, to leave behind all that you know, not only your possessions, but your village, your power, your position, to walk away from how people have known you and the way you have known yourself to find something new. What would it be like if it was by your own choice or because you have no choice? Few of us have the desire or the courage to give up everything that we know for the unknown. But I know that one time at least in your heart of hearts, you've probably wondered what it would be like to break out and start fresh someplace new, perhaps in some late night scrolling on Zillow as we look at property prices in the Midwest, or after a bad day at work when you imagine the childhood dreams you had that perhaps have not come to pass. We wonder what it would be like to redefine ourselves as we see fit, rather than being known only by the past that we carry with us, a past that cannot be changed. What would it be like instead to be able to build into a future yet unseen, where there isn't a prescription for what comes, to become wanderers, to become nomads? Jesus and his disciples were wanderers. They were nomads. They each left behind a life that they had known, that had comfort and familiarity, to embrace and encounter those who were also seeking something more. In order to do their work, they had to go their, forego their family trades and the communities that knew them. They had to give up their possessions. They had to give up comfort. They were given the choice of a new life and the opportunity to build community amongst the unknown. Now in the gospel, some of my favorite moments are those encounters that Jesus and his followers have with regular people. These encounters, sometimes deeply profound, like the miraculous healing of the blind man, or powerfully of the everyday, like dinner shared with Mary and Martha, all change the lives of those they encounter and change the disciples and shape their ministries and their path. These moments of encounter leave a profound impression in the hearts of all those who are present, and each experience that comes carries with it something into the next part of their journey. In today's excellent reading from April from the message translation, we heard the beginning of Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. Now, this is a story that we know very well, I think. Much has been made of the colorful backstory of the Samaritan woman that Jesus encounters at the well and what it means that Jesus stopped to drink with the likes of her and had a conversation. If you dig too deep on the internet, you'll find a series of sermons, usually by male pastors, dwelling far too much on this. I'm not really interested in the Samaritan woman's past. I'm really interested in the circumstances that brought them together and what happened at that well in that moment. You see, Jesus wasn't supposed to be passing that way. That wasn't the plan. He wasn't going to go through Samaria at all. But he and the disciples have been busy stirring things up, what with their preaching and their baptizing, 
and the powers that be of his time have taken notice. The gospel tells us that Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptism that he and John performed, although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into the rivals in the eyes of the people. And so Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. Jesus sees the heat that is coming, and knowing that it's not time for it, alters his course. He decides to return to Galilee, and in order to do that, Jesus must pass through Samaria. It's not a road that he had planned to be on, but it's a road he has to take. And because circumstances force him to take this path, he has one of the most profound encounters in the gospel. Like I said before, much has been made of the colorful history of the Samaritan woman, her many husbands, her supposed immorality, her isolation. Basically, when you hear some, uh, a sermon about the, a woman at the well, not in this church, but in many other places, <laughs> you'll hear that she was generally inappropriate. And that's a soft way of saying it. But I don't read it that way. What I take away from this is the genuineness with which she engages with Jesus, the lack of fear, the warmth. She is witty and snappy, and she doesn't hide who she is. She knows she can't, she has a past, and everyone seems to know it, even Jesus. We find her at noontime, alone at the well in the high sun, conducting a task that is most often done communally with the other women of her community. We can assume that she is lonely, isolated. Maybe she's rejected by her community, or maybe they all had something else to do that day, but whatever the case is, when Jesus gets there, she is by herself. Additionally, she is a Samaritan, and Jesus is a Jew, and there is no love lost between those communities. And yet, she stays when Jesus approaches, and they share an encounter. They talk. They get sarcastic. She gets vulnerable. And in the telling of her story, we find out that she has been thirsty for so much more than what is in the bottom of that well. This woman whom Jesus did not plan to meet becomes one of the first people in the Bible that he reveals his holiness to. I want you to remember this about this story. Jesus reveals his holiness to her, yes, a her, capital H-E-R, a lonely, isolated, maybe rejected woman, and gives her the task of spreading his truth. And so she does. She leaves him transformed and goes on to spread the good news. Even the disciples can't believe it. And Jesus and his disciple, this encounter over, continue on their path to the next part of their ministry. 2,000 years later, and we are still talking about that brief moment at the well, the encounter that almost wasn't, an encounter that changed the life of one and then many. In the Oscar-winning picture, Nomadland, we follow the journey of a woman who has lost everything and has chosen a different path in her life in order to survive. 
The encounters in her day-to-day life help shape her and direct the course of her journey. And as we explore this film for this Sunday's version of Crossflix, I want to invite you to watch the trailer with me. one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am, I know. And they sometimes call you nomads. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. Welcome to Badland Spa. What the nomads are doing is not that different than what the pioneers did. I think Fern's part of an American tradition. He's gonna come right through the glass. My dad used to say, what's remembered lives. I maybe spent too much of my life just remembering. One of the things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. I've met hundreds of people out here, and I don't ever say a final goodbye. Let's just say, I'll, I'll see you down the road. And I do. I see them again. And I can be certain in my heart, I'll see you again. crafted film, Frances McDormand plays the character of Firm. Nomad's Land is directed by Chloe Zhao and based on the non-fiction book written by Jessica Berger. Fern is a fictionalized character inserted into the world of Nomad's Land. She is a woman who, like so many Americans, has experienced terrible economic devastation after the 2008 economic crisis. She's also a widow who has lost her husband after many years of marriage. The small town, Empire, where she lives and works, is dependent on a mine that is no longer needed and closes. And the entire town, the entire town, where she has spent decades living and building community, is forced to leave. And like many, many Americans and working poor people in this country, her employment options and living options become very limited. Out of necessity, Fern begins to build a new life on the road, traveling in a full-size van that she has painstakingly shaped to be a place that she can call home. She names it Vanguard. It is her shelter, her transportation, and a great source of pride. She loves her van. She lives full-time in her van, traveling from place to face, following the route of seasonal work. We see this senior woman in her 60s work in an Amazon factory, picking beets in a beets production uh, farm, 
uh, serving as a campground host. She explores moments of solitude and isolation in nature. And the film documents her journey after walking away from everything that sustained her and held her identity before into an unknown future that is yet to be defined. Throughout the, firm, uh, throughout the film, Fern encounters with other people in similar circumstances who have walked away from a life tethered to property and position and have chosen a different way to live. And although I use the words walk away and chosen, I think it's important to say it's with some level of nuance. There can be a tendency right now to glamorize van life. I mean, it's a hashtag after all. And if you explore it on Instagram, you'll find many young, beautiful, affluent influencers living that van life, taking beautiful photos on their journey um, and documenting their travels. This is not the life that Fern or her fellow van dwellers live. Many of the characters in the film, many of the people who live this way in real life did not do so initially willingly. Life on the road is a choice for some, for sure, but many more are forced into this path through economic hardship. The rising costs of rent in the United States and economic forces that mean that many people who gave decades to companies were left with nothing in their retirement, often a forced retirement. But even for many of those, the new life that they either chose or had to choose, a life without permanent housing, a van life, becomes one of possibility, rebirth and a new freedom. Fern begins to find joy in the midst of her isolation and sometimes loneliness. She begins to find joy centering in peace through the encounters that she has with others. Fern's story arc allows us to meet a host of characters who are living the road life and learn the stories of what brought them there. One of the beautiful things about this film, besides the fact of its sheer beauty, and if you have not seen it, it is a window into the landscapes of the American West, the Badlands, Waldrug, which I visited so many times growing up as a kid in the Midwest. Watch it for that. You know, I hate the term flyover country. Only we people on the coast say that. People in the middle don't say that. If you haven't been to these places, you're missing something. Watch this film. But in addition to the beautiful landscapes, one of the beautiful things about this film that the director, Chloe Zhao, chose to, to do was to use non-professional actors uh, for many of the supporting characters in the film. Instead, she chose to hire some of the very people featured in the original non-fiction book, Nomadland. The character of Linda May is played by real-life Linda. And for me as a viewer, there are two things happening as I watch the relationship between Linda May and Fern unfold. One, I am struck by the deep love and decency that Linda May is able to offer Fern, who clearly needs it. The importance of human contact, of being received for who you are in this moment, not necessarily who you were, of being loved without exception or expectation. They share friendship and adventures and more than a few laughs. And Linda brings Fern into her community of fellow travelers. She encourages her to push past her comfort zone and to find courage in this new life. There is a healing presence there, one that gives Fern strength and the kind of roots that can travel with you in your heart for her journey. In an intimate moment of conversation, in the tiny 10-foot travel trailer squeeze in that Linda May calls home, 
Linda reveals that after the 2008 crisis, when she lost everything, she could not imagine a way forward. And this woman, who is so full of life on screen, talks about the suicide that she planned. She says, before I moved into the squeeze-in, I was out looking for work and putting in applications in 2008, and it was just tough. And I got to a really, really low point. And I thought about suicide. And I decided I was gonna buy a bottle of booze and turn on the propane stove, and I was gonna drink that booze until I passed out. And if I woke up, I was gonna light a cigarette and I was gonna blow us all up. And I looked at my two sweet little trusting dogs, my Cocker Spaniel and my little toy poodle, and I just couldn't do that to them. And I thought, well, I can't do that to me either. It is a powerful moment of vulnerability, and Linda is able to share it without shame, to connect to Fern's own struggle and her isolation, and also to provide us with an insight into how much her newfound life on the road, as difficult as it is in the day-to-day, -day, has been hard won, and what it truly means to her. We begin to understand the incredible strength and power of both women as they rebuild their lives in an unconventional way that most people do not understand and often judge. Later, after reading up on this film, I find out in this moment, or excuse me, I find out that this moment that I've just shared is not a scripted one. It is Linda's real story, and this is the real Linda in this picture. Linda offers this real story to Fern, the character, to Frances McDormand, her scene partner, and to us as the viewers with deep vulnerability and humility. It is an invitation into her life, into her heart, and into her journey. It is a gift to us, an encounter not to be missed or taken for granted. It is a drink of water for a thirsty soul, and for Fern and for us. We are invited to see what she saw, the possibilities that come after a moment of deep despair. Other characters Fern encounters include Swanky, played by the real-life Swanky, whose character is living on her own terms in her happiest places as her fictional character faces an end-of-life cancer diagnosis, and Bob Wells. Bob Wells is a real-life leader in the community of folks living on the road. We join Fern as she participates in an annual gathering of those who live this life called the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous, where folks gather to commune, find support in each other, and teach each other the basics of how to live this life as safe as possible. And in an interview with Linda reveals that the first time she attended the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous, there were about 250 other vans there. And the last time she attended, there were nearly 5,000 people. In Bob's encounter with Firm, he names the tragedy and the pain that she carries in her heart, but she doesn't speak of. The loss not just of her husband and her home, but the loss of her village, her community. And in welcoming her into the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous, Bob offers her a new village that can care about her and her future and respect her path and her autonomy. Some of the most powerful scenes in the film come from their conversations together, many of which are unscripted. I encourage you to watch it including the recognition that for many people, grief and loss is a part of our life. And we may never get over that loss, but that it's okay. 
There is still life even when we hold on to loss. There is joy in the community and the work they do. There is vulnerability and rawness in the stories that they tell. And together they build an oasis on the dry patch of desert where the rendezvous takes place. Now much of this film is filmed in the expansive deserts of the American West, vast, dry, desolate areas where very few people live and where many living the van life in that community congregate to make their homes even temporarily. The communities they form, the relationships that they build become life-giving in the harshness of the greater world. My question to you this morning is, where do you find your oasis? What in your life brings you refreshment and slakes your thirst? Who have you encountered that reminds you of God's presence, a presence that lives in each of us, who carries God's life-giving water in abundance to share with you in moments when you have a hard time finding it? Or on the flip side, are there encounters or moments in your life when you've been able to carry this water for Jesus? to share with someone who is thirsty for it, who is lonely or who feels isolated? How has an encounter with you changed someone's life? And maybe you're thinking, an encounter with me has never changed someone's life. I'm telling you right now, you're wrong. You are beloved child of God. Who you are and what you do matters. And the relationships that you have with other people, it changes them, just like those encounters change you. Unlike the Samaritan woman and Jesus or Fern and her road compañeros, most of our encounters will not be memorialized in an Oscar-winning picture or in a text that lives for 2,000 years. Instead, they will happen in their moments. They will be fleeting and it will be hard to remember the details. But if we bring love to these encounters, if we bring life to them, Perhaps if we share the living water that we carry, we can water someone else's parched soul and leave something behind that lasts far longer than the moment. We do this in many ways, in words of kindness, in acts of forgiveness, in expressions of friendship and love that look like service, in fights for justice. Today, volunteers from our church will gather in our parking lot. And yeah, it's a little bit warm out there. It's a little bit, a little bit hot. We're gathering in our parking lot to create a welcoming space for our neighbors who need to be vaccinated against the COVID-19 virus. We hope that whoever needs it will come. And we'll be there from 12 to 5 p.m. creating an oasis in the hot summer sun for anyone who needs it. I pray that when they leave here, in addition to their band-aid, they will know how loved and welcome they are. I hope that this will give them something that they can carry forward with them. I pray that they will be given a sense of security from receiving the vaccine and feel hope for a healthy future. As Christians, we have been called to live by the greatest commandment, to love God completely and deeply and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. It is an invitation to share the living water that has been given to us with others, to give them an experience into the love that knows no exception and that sustains all. One of the sayings that Fern imparts into her conversation with Bob Wells is a phrase that her father used to say, what's remembered lives. 
What will folks remember about their next encounter with you? How will they know they are loved by your actions and your words? How will they know our church? The world is rapidly changing and the road is long in front of us. Is the church ready to be an oasis where folks can build new community and work together to challenge old and profoundly broken ways? Is the church ready to be an oasis where they can find strength for the journey? I think so. I believe so. In fact, I know so. While the world changes, God's love remains constant and unceasing. The work of the beloved community remains ever-present. And the possibilities, oh, the possibilities to seek justice and to preach love and to make those who have been told they are not loved know that they are loved. Those opportunities are limitless. Even as the road is limitless and unwinds in front of us, we know the road most often will not be straight or smooth and that there's probably a ton of potholes because we are here in the heart of Hollywood. But that's okay. That's why we have each other. That's where God comes in. The road itself is not the journey. It's the encounters along the way in times of ease and times of struggle. And I, for one, am excited to be journeying it with you, and I cannot wait to see who we meet along the way. Amen. As you go out into the world this week, carrying the water which is abundant and fresh and life-giving from Jesus, be unafraid to share it with those who need it those who are thirsty and those who are parched. And if you find yourself thirsting, be unafraid to reach out to a friend or a neighbor and ask them to share their own water. This is a community that we are building together. Go forward and be God's hands in the world in this beloved community. Amen.